This is Face the Music, an electric light orchestra song-by-song podcast. the music bonus tracks listener comments album reviews album facts and outtakes i'm eric paul johnson and i'm eric winsenson this is a bonus tracks episode for the face the music album you know the drill let's get going now here comes the music so we before we get to the comments about face the music there are a couple of comments about the bonus episode of El Dorado. MJ Folds says, Good episode, chaps. Nice to get some shout-outs. I would give the phone line a call, but I am sure the UK to US phone charges would be a little high. I always assumed Kelly's last name was pronounced Grouchit, like Oscar the Grouch, and Et a James. But I have never looked into it. Thank you. I'm glad you liked the episode. Yeah, I don't know the phone charges for calling from England to America, but it's probably not free after 7 o'clock at night. So I understand why you wouldn't be calling. Well, that- here's a good thing you can do. Try Skype or something like that or some other VPO type thing where you're able to call directly from your computer. That way you're not using a phone line and that way you don't get charged long distance fees. Can you do that? Can you call a phone number? Through Skype and... Oh. Yeah, you can call a phone number from Skype. There's a number of other services you can call a phone number from. And it goes over the computer, so you're not using phone lines. Okay, well, there you're you just go. just talking over the internet. In fact, I think you might even be able to do it with just through Messenger. Okay, well, there you go. All of our fans who listen in Iraq and Guam and, and the Netherlands, you're free to call. And you can do it in your language, and, and me and Eric will just nod blankly but it'll be nice to hear it in other languages just be kind of fun six two three eight five oh three three seven five call now as for kelly's last name grouchette never ever occurred to me that's an interesting idea of how it might have been pronounced i think we settled on grouquette grouquette i think it's i don't grouquette i don't think we've yeah, settled think on it. um i've never heard anybody actually pronounce it so um, I'm um, sure I have in old radio shows, maybe subconsciously, since I've been saying Grucut, Grucat, Gruk, Gruk. Now I'm hung up on it. I can't even think of how to say yeah, it. Yeah, because right. I think it, think it rhymes with Crewcut, which there is you, probably something he never would have had, uh, except maybe in primary school. Yeah, even when his hair was thinning later in life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ian Fawcett wrote, So there I am, soaking in the bath, taking in the latest podcast. A long bath today. 1 hour, 12 minutes, 24 seconds. But seriously, Eldorado was my first ELO album, and I haven't looked back since. Truly, can't get it out of my head. Keep going. I am really looking forward to next week and the rest of 2019. Well, it's good to know that there are people who listen to us naked. Just, uh, please don't... <laughs> Just, uh, I think it's a sign that people are comfortable with us, and maybe they like us little too much. Also, please don't drop your iPod or Bluetooth speaker in the tub. I, I don't want to lose any listeners. Ow! And I think you just end up losing your speaker. 
He goes for the nudity, and I'm sitting here thinking about making the bathwater bubbly. <laughs> You're a really weird man, aren't you? In that El Dorado bonus episode, there was a phone call from somebody, and I had said that whoever you were, you have a fantastic radio voice. You have wasted your life if you have never worked in radio. Well, that was actually Mark Herring, and he answered that question. Great podcast as always. By the way, that was me asking about Lewis Clark's contributions to ELO when he first joined up on El Dorado. In my opinion, he has owed as much recognition for adding to the ELO sound as Richard Tandy. His orchestration arrangements always worked. I know he was in and out of the band after Out of the Blue, but frankly, with very disco onwards, his talents weren't really required. And yes, I started in radio back in the disco era and even played disco clubs like the one shown in Saturday Night Fever. But by 1979, I started doing microcomputer consulting work and left that behind. Still have fun teasing my grandchildren with the DJ voice. Yeah, yeah the one that I can't do because I, I can't go that deep without sounding ridiculous. The DJ voice. That's not happening. I have always dreamed of working in radio, so I think it's really, really freaking cool. I actually got to work in radio. And in the early 70s, when they weren't quite so uptight about playlists, you were a little more free to do things. It wasn't all controlled by a computer, or three telecommunication companies owned every single radio station. I would think in the 70s, early 70s, mid-70s, it might have been much more fun to, to be on the radio. That's why it's fun to do internet radio is because yes. you have you have that freedom a lot of times that you don't have on air. And uh, you get paid about the same. <laughs> yeah. Zilch! I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've been so. saying that for like the last couple of years, that podcasts and internet radio, it's like what radio used to be before the 1996 Telecommunications Act. With the podcast, what I do anyway is from midnight to three, I set up a playlist of podcasts and it says if these are rate shows that are going out on my own radio station that's in my head. There's even hourly news breaks and I have commercials and then there are songs to pad out each hour. So it's kind of like creating your own radio station. There are different voices, different personalities coming through. It's not all one voice in California going out to bazillion radio stations everywhere. It's kind of like what radio used to be. Different voices, different sounds. So it's, yeah, podcasts and internet radio, it's what made radio fun back when radio was fun. It's the future, if only somebody could find a way for us to get paid enough to make a living doing this kind of stuff. We've passed 20,000 listens. If I could just get a dollar for every one of those listens, I'd be making more doing this podcast than I do at my job that I go to just so I can pay bills and buy Legos. I don't know. Start charging a dollar per episode for everybody and see how fast that listenership drops and that 20,000 listens comes to a, an abrupt stop. Um, rather quickly. Yeah. However, people want to voluntarily give that to us at our Patreon site. Absolutely. They're more than happy to uh, direct you there and we're more than happy to take anything you may give. And there's a PayPal donation too. All that information's in every episode of our podcast. Share it, and also give us lots and lots of money. Empty out your bank yes. account so that your soul will go to heaven. Seems to work for a lot of people, so I thought I'd give and that And so I will try. go to the record store. Yeah. It, yes, that heaven thing seems to work for a lot of people, so I thought I'd try that angle. Our podcast will save your soul, but you're going to need to give us a lot of money for us to put that into action. This is the Trinity Broadcasting Network. 
Uh, yeah, Lewis Clark. I guess he'd be like the George Martin of ELO. George Martin was called the fifth Beatle, even though he wasn't actually a member of the band. So Lewis Clark was sort of like a member of ELO, but he wasn't actually a member of the band. Definitely had a huge mark on ELO's sound from El Dorado to Discovery. I think he should get a big bunch of credit for saving ELO from grinding cellos and the single violin. Definitely, because he's one of those... It's not always the members of the band, but a lot of times there's always somebody on the outskirts who really helps form how they sound. And yeah, he did a great job with ELO. And I agree, as great as the Beatles always were and good performers and good musicians and everything, yeah, I can't imagine them without George Martin producing them, so. Well, you can. There's one album and two songs where he didn't produce. But as for the bulk of the Beatles, yeah, without George Martin, I mean, when you hear George's stuff that he did after the Beatles broke up, uh, he, he made some bands sound really, really good. <laughs> Ain't that the truth. Up next, Richard Smith said, Odd in terms orchestral arrangements. A mix of session players and ELO's three stringers. Why couldn't Jeff make his mind up over one or the other? Well, I think probably the reason is that when you're in a band, you hang around with each other a lot. Touring, recording, rehearsing, on the road, all that kind of stuff. So, one or two things are going to happen. You're either going to annoy the hell out of each other and can't stand to be with each other, so you wind up leaving the band, or you develop a really tight bond so that even when you bring in extra musicians, you're still in the band. If we can get Jeff in, he can call us, let us know if this is the reason, because they're band members. They're in the band. They're part of the band. They're going to be part of the records, at least up until 1979 anyway. So that's probably why. I'm sure it's the bond, the band bond, that is why Jeff didn't say, all right, I've got 30 people here. You three guys, I don't need you anymore. Why don't you go away? Go go find someplace else to be. Here's a ball. Yeah. You might like to bounce it. Yeah, yes. yes. Go, <laughs> go. Here, here you go. Out in the freeway. Go play with the ball. <laughs> yeah. What happened to our string section? Well, Timmy. Yeah. They all moved to a barn on the outskirts of uh, yes. on, on the outskirts of um, Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. Yes, they're all nice and safe. It's a nice little barn up there in Scotland, mm-hmm. where they can run free. Yes, and play their violins and their cellos mm-hmm. with giant <laughs> hay bales running loose and free. <sighs> I went too far. Yes, those sentiments are so distasteful. Okay, we're going to start with Fire on High, and we got Brit Brat Punk. This song kicks ass. I agree, you guys are fun. I love the female commentator's voice, too. I would play that Atari game for sure, already picturing it and jamming out. Good luck with the adapter search at Radio Shack. Yeah, so far I haven't found the adapter. I'm still on the searching out at Radio Shack part, but <laughs> yes, there's got to be one in town somewhere. Thank you for saying that we're fun. We try and keep it fun. Uh, yeah, Lisa, or Marie, rather, she has a great voice. I loved it. We make these shows about a month or so in advance. I was sitting on them for a month, and it was like getting antsy because I couldn't wait for people to hear Lisa doing the song facts part. So she's, I, I love the voice she brings to the show. A cheerful change from the humdrum morning fair. Corey Gomel said, As far as all words and music by Jeff, well, I spoke to Lewis Clark, and he told me Jeff asked Lewis for a nightmare opening. The opening was used over and over by those who were trying to prove rock music was the devil's music. There were backwards messages. Led Zeppelin was played backwards, and it sounded kind of like My Sweet Satan. Well, that was not recorded backwards, and what you hear depends on how much you want to believe and how much you had to drink. 
but to prove things were recorded backwards, they used this song as an example. Yeah, that was Stairway to Heaven where they thought it was My Sweet Satan. And yes, it was. You have to either want to hear it or mind-altering stuff to make you think that's it. For me, it always had to be mind-altering stuff for you to want to suddenly, especially before computers, to sit there and manually reverse your record, tear up your needle, yeah. tear up your record, <laughs> just because you're going, hey, Satan might have left a message for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're really committed to your cause. Or you should be committed, one of the two. Yeah, because typically Satan was not leaving a message, and nobody even thought about it until some Christian went, Hey! There's a naughty word! I just wonder if, for some reason, many churches just had malfunctioning record players. That could have been. Might have had it on the wrong setting, so it just started playing everything backwards. Or Satan was messing with him. One or the other. One of the two. Yeah, having a good laugh at him. He's a jackass. Moving on to Waterfall, Mike Hudson said, I don't agree with these guys at all. I think Waterfall is probably the best track on Face the Music. One Summer Dream may be the one track that gives it a run for its money. I think it's the perfect follow-up track for Fire on High, and bridges the gap to Evil Woman flawlessly. I'm one of those people who tend to like deep cuts better than the singles. As good as Evil Woman and Strange Magic are, they are nowhere near the best tracks on Face the Music. Waterfall just takes me to a place that's indescribable. Same for One Summer Dream, but that whole album is solid from start to finish. Not a bad track on there. Even the worst, if you could say that, track, Down Hometown, is still a great track. Um, I don't think we said that Waterfall was bad. As for me, I said that it was forgettable, in my head anyway. I like it when I hear it, it's like, oh, that's nice. And then it's like, it kind of disappears from my memory. Oh yeah, Waterfall. And then it comes back, and, oh yeah, I like Waterfall. And I think Eric said that he liked it too. Yeah, I'd li I liked it quite a bit more than you did. Yeah, you did. Yeah, oh, I just thought it belonged someplace else on the album, other than right after Fire on High. But then I'm one of those people who, if I program an album, I like going fast song, fast song, fast song, and put the slower songs towards the end of the sides, and then a big, huge ballad at the end of the whole record itself. Mm -hmm. I listened to too many Alan Parsons <laughs> albums when I was younger, and that, and and he and he basically had an entire formula of how the album should flow. So, right. Well, maybe that's one of your many problems. What? What? My flow? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well. It's probably a only, different thing. Only when I have to get up in the middle of the night. Hey, be, yeah, something you should maybe take up with your doctor instead of the ELO podcast. True. Uh, the deeper cuts, I, I, you know, I'm kind of more partial to the deeper cuts too, but that's probably because I've heard the singles a lot. And even for the singles that I do like, it's still kind of like, I've heard this a lot. So it's, it's deeper cuts, they do get more of a like from me, even though there are singles that I think are fan -damptastic. And yeah, One Summer Dream, as you just heard in the very last episode. Uh, so, God, I love that song. Oh, man! That does it for me! MJ Fold says, Good episode as always. I always like this song. A bit like you say, you kind of forget about it. But when it comes on, it's like, oh yeah, I like this. I have never thought hoedown with the string break. It is more like music from the Far East. And... Honestly, that's exactly what I thought, even when I first heard it, and still. I was just trying really, really, really hard to stretch out what could possibly tiniest, maybe, be kind of country-ish about the song. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely more of a Far East thing. Pam Van Allen, pronunciation nitpick. The word is orchestral, not orchestral. Orchestral? I don't know. It's at the 201 uh, I think mark. she's saying the word is orchestral. Not orchestral. Orchestral, I see. 
Well, it's at 201 on that episode. I, I don't know. Let's see what she's talking about. With the orchestral intros was released. Oh, good. The mistake is on Lisa. It's not on me. Ah, so I didn't do it. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, neither one of us made the, the mistake. But Lisa has kind of a bit of a British accent, which is kind of funny because she's lived in Phoenix her entire life. So I don't know where she picked it up from, but she does have a dreamy voice. Yeah, I thought it might have been me making the mistake because, well, even though I know the words and know the meanings of words since I was an only child and by myself for quite a long time, a lot of words I had to learn by hearing other people say them, even though I read them. Mm-hmm. I always got the pronunciation completely wrong. But there's really no wrong way to say contributionary. At least I got that one right. Ian Fawcett says, Still listening to the podcast Naked in the Bath on a Saturday morning in the UK. Still. Okay, well, I'm thinking he's getting a little bit wrinkly by now. He's pretty pruny at this point. Yeah. At least when you're doing the tracks, the water temperature remains warm. Keep it going. Uh, I have a way that you can keep the water from cooling down when you're listening to our bonus tracks episode. It's a very simple solution. Just make sure you keep it plugged in when you drop it in the tub with you. So try that out. Let us know how um, it worked out. I always thought a couple cans of beans about an hour or so before taking your bath also keeps the water warm. That's probably a safer way to do it. Um, my way is certainly guaranteed. I've done it a couple of times and it worked out great without certainly no lasting harm to me. Okay, so that's a reason why you don't put electronics in the bathtub. I, I, I don't get what you're saying. That's okay, Eric. Corey Gomel said, Wow, right out of Bev's mouth, a light orchestra. He even says play on words. Bev, please use my name when quoting me. Also, just love that Face the Mighty Waterfall background vocal and how it comes back later in the LP. Yeah, it was Corey who suggested in the Eldorado bonus tracks that the light, an electric light orchestra, might have meant a small orchestra and not a source of electrical power illuminating. Well, it was nice to have Bev kind of confirm that a little bit. Yeah, I didn't. I totally stumbled across that after we had done that. I was like, oh, oh well, this is this is great. How can I not use this? Okay. I'm listening to episode 043, Waterfall. The music album. Man, I love Waterfall. It's a great, great song. But that same, same, you know, that sort of thing. It also has a very sentimental uh, history to me, so, you know, your memories can be tainted by that sort of thing, or you prejudge a song very much like that. So, Waterfall to me, very great song, very memorable. I loved it, loved it when I first heard it. Made me want to go out and get the uh, Face the Music album for myself because I had an eight track from my best friend. And I was like, screw this, I gotta go to Camelot Music and get my own copy. So, uh, yeah, Waterfall's great. Great podcast, by the way. Keep it up. I love it. I'm listening and listening and listening again. Thank you so much. Moving on to comments about Evil Woman, even though none of these comments are about Evil Woman. Well, sort of. Anyway. Nicholas Guibert. I'm sure that's totally wrong. Eric told me how to say it, right? What was it? I think it's Guibert. We'll go with that, because I think he is from Franceland. Who is the second Eric, exactly? Well, this Eric, Eric Paul Johnson, creator, producer of the podcast, and the other Eric, Eric Winsenson, is disposable lackey. So, that's who the Erics are. Unless Eric has a different interpretation of who exactly is the second Eric he's talking about. I am an avatar of Nyarlathotep upon the Earth. What? There you go. I think that answers everybody's question. Kinda? Kind of. Kind of. Yeah. I actually am... Well, I do a lot of stuff. 
record collector, broadcaster, kind of author. Occasionally get published or get to perform something, but for the most part, just very, very interested in music and spend quite a lot of my money. And if you're in the Phoenix area and it's a small record store that survived, it's possibly that I kept them alive during the 90s. That's it's a good bet, and even probably still. Um, True. When I started going to college, couple years ago the college kids would say to me oh yeah I got a couple albums and I'd kind of just blink and laugh in my head oh you have a couple albums here let me show you what threw my back out moving out here and it wasn't furniture it was boxes and boxes of albums and they're heavy and they're a lot and even as I was moving these boxes of albums I was thinking about Eric who has a whole lot more records than I do and I would just hate to think about trying to move all of those whenever he moves Usually it's about a week-long process. I don't doubt it. (laughs) And I've found the best way to do it is those canvas bags you get at the grocery stores. Really? Because even though you can't move a whole lot at one time, Mm -hmm. like you would if you put them in boxes, you Mm -hmm. have handles, Mm -hmm. they're cheap, they're cheaper than boxes, and you can fit a whole lot of them in your car without having to rent a truck. I did not know that. There you go. There's a helpful tip. And you don't throw your back out carrying them because, like I said, handles. You're not having to lift from the bottom. That's true. You're not having to get a hand truck and haul out a bunch of boxes and stuff and hope nothing breaks. You have complete control over how heavy everything is. So. Well, you can do what I did uh, when I moved here to Troy, and that's uh, get yourself a strong girlfriend. Because she hauled them up the stairs. There was no way I was doing it, but she made short work of it. That's, that's another That's way another to do thing. It. If you're going to become a major record collector, and if you live in an apartment, you want a bottom floor. I have always had a bottom floor apartment. This apartment has two floors, and upstairs is where the albums would fit. Oh, up next is for Eric. Well, he gets to read it. Jim Crow. (sighs) Yes, it is his name Mm -hmm. before anybody writes us. Yeah. Hello, Eric's. Finally got around to dropping you a line to say how much I enjoy the show. I've been an ELO fan since the early 70s, starting with On the Third Day. I heard about your show from the Showdown group and have been listening from episode one. We don't always see eye to eye on the songs, of course. I'm a big fan of Jumping Biz and How Can You Not Like Evil Woman? (laughs) Eric Paul. (laughs) Yeah. But I am always entertained and learning from you. Great analysis of El Dorado, by the way. Keep up the great work, and I hope you both have a chance to see the tour this year. It's amazing. I'm sure it is, um, but Mm. uh, I don't know if they're coming around to the Phoenix area again. I think the closest they got this year was Salt Lake City. I think so. I don't know what the showdown group is, so I'm glad to see that word is getting out to other places that I'm not going to, or that I don't go to, that I don't even know about. Jumpin' Biz? I've always loved Jumpin' Biz, even though it is pretty much classical gas. Evil Woman? I know. I know. I expect a lot of pushback from a lot of ELO fans, because I know it's big with them, and, and it was a huge hit, but I don't, it just, I don't know. It never completely worked for me, and I'm good with that. To me, it's like Don't Fear the Reaper. You hear it millions of times, <laughs> and it never gets old. But I, I like that not seeing eye to eye, because I think it would be boring to listen to a show if it's all just, oh, everything he's done is dreamy. He's never done a bad song ever, and I just, whenever I hear that kind of stuff, I'm kind of like, yeah, I, I agree with you, but is there maybe some sort of discussion we can have in our head of differing opinions about what you're talking about? So I'm glad that uh, there can be a difference sometimes. I'm also glad that you're entertained and learning, which is the whole point, to be entertained and learned it did. Wow, infotainment. As for the tour, no. Missing out again because he is not coming to St. Louis. 
closest he will be is a four-hour drive in either direction, either up near Chicago or some way four hours west. And before anybody says, well, why don't you just go there, you know, because these things cost money. Ticket prices are expensive to start with. Gas for a car. I gotta find a place to stay. I mean, I'm gonna have to eat. And this is gonna be a couple of day or two that I would be out of town. It's pricey, and despite what you might think about people who do podcasts, we're not exactly very rich. Unless you're getting them Mark Marin listenership and advertising, then you're probably making some money, but me? Or unless you are money. involved in the Ron Burgundy podcast. <laughs> I forgot to check that out when I heard that it was coming. Yeah. I haven't heard it yet, but yeah, would love to uh, be able to reach that sort of an audience and make that sort of money. I'd love to be able to make a living off of doing this podcast or a podcast, because I love doing the editing and putting the whole show together, and I love doing all that stuff. But it's, uh, so far we're not getting a paycheck. Maybe Jet Records would like to hire us in their ELO promotions department and have us produce this podcast. Excellent. Or do what they probably would do and steal our idea and give it to somebody else to do. Corey Gomel says, Wasn't this used in a lot more stuff? Saving Silverman comes quickly to mind. Eric, you don't like it? What? Send back the tie. Kidding. Also absolutely love the American Top 40 clip. And yes, Evil Woman was used in a lot of movies and in a lot of trailers for movies. I think probably it's one of those most used ones right along the lines of Katrina and the Waves Walking on Sunshine. <laughs> and a number of other ones. Normally it doesn't make it into the movies themselves, but they use it a lot in the, in the trailers because, well, Hollywood has about the imagination of an accountant. Or they have the record collection of five records and everybody knows That's this true. one, let's use this. Yep, they've got the record collection of iHeartRadio. Yeah, 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 <laughs> they do. Oh, wait a minute. We're trying to get on there, so I should, probably should be Oh, that's right. I submitted the yeah. podcast. <laughs> um, you should direct those concerns to the Jeff Lenz song database, because that's pretty much where I get, like, 95% of the information for this show. It's, yeah, I, I don't like it. And if you want that tie, you're going to have to come here and get it, because that's a pretty cool tie. I won one of the ties that he gives away on his Facebook group, Jeff Lynn's Blue World. And it's a tie that has all of the ELO covers on it, so... It's uh, pretty neat, no? I'll be sure to wear that to my next swanky gathering. I'm sure I'll stand out with an ELO tie in my tux. You usually stand out in your Star Trek uniform. Dig that square! So for Knight Rider, in the Facebook posts, I wrote the teaser, Little Known Fact. Jeff Lynne was first cast as the lead in Knight Rider based on this song, but David Hasselhoff hired some guy to club Jeff in the kneecaps the day before shooting started. So to that, Daniel Fish wrote, Nice joke there, guys. Just imagine Jeff cruising in the Trans Am and chasing villains, maybe singing Looking for Freedom at the same time. You're a genius. If I could do voices, I would so make a podcast miniseries of Jeff Lynne in Knight Rider, driving the car around, solving crimes, that kind of thing. That'd be pretty ridiculously funny. Maybe we can get Jeff Lynne. Jeff Lynne, would you like to do a short series of podcasts where you're riding in Knight Rider solving crimes? Let us know. Right. Writing in kit and solving crimes. Yes, that's Even though, right. And of course, with being hit in the kneecaps, we need to have him do a little thing where he gets hit in the kneecaps and sits there going, Why? <laughs> Why? I'm so, I'm just, David Hasselhoff is Tanya Harding. <laughs> I'm just lost in thought of Jeff acting, and I don't think he, he can. I've never... In the videos, he doesn't he, really act. 
He's most... never been dumb enough to show up in a movie, as far as I know. Yeah, I know he, he he's avoided Xanadu. And, unlike a lot of unlike a lot of singers who uh, go, oh yeah, I'm an actor too. I've been in videos. I can act. The most acting I've ever seen him do was in the video for Here Is the News. And other than that, in most of his videos, he's just either playing or singing and swaying with the music as he's playing or singing. Rick Newman says. Carpool karaoke with Kit singing Knight Rider, anyone? That would probably be the only carpool karaoke that I would watch. Although I still haven't seen the McCartney one. But I hate karaoke, and I don't like the fat guy who does the Late Late Show. I didn't see the McCartney one, but I did see the McCarthy one. <laughs> that one was... <sighs> yeah, trying to get him into a red car, that was rather an adventure. <laughs> and I heard that he sung so bad that fat guy turned to him and said, Have you no decency? What a terrible voice. So, exactly. Yeah. Have you no sense of decency, sir? At long last. Pam Van Allen said, Madeline's accelerating cognitive and language development is increasingly obvious. It's quite charming. Such a good idea to include her in the podcast. I t read this to Madeline, and she said, thank you. And yeah, the Madeline thing, that was sort of like a last minute thing as I was coming up for ideas. What could we do on the podcast? Madeline might be kind of fun to have in there. So there you go. Also, Eric Paul's cognitive and language development is also increasing. I, I get good at making wordifying happen bettering. Now you can tell right there, friends, that he don't know nothing. Next up, we got Jimmy Hutto. I love the song Knight Rider from Face the Music. I thought Jimmy should represent the lovers of the song since we were kind of, eh, it was okay. Yeah. yeah. Up next is Poker. Ken Lambert said, three thumbs up. Yes, if I had a third thumb, that would also go up for poker. It's, it's a damn good song. And if you had three thumbs, you'd probably really like the song Down Hometown as well. <laughs> that's, that's probably... <laughs> yes, yes. You can thank your cousins for giving you that third thumb. Morton S. Erickson says, Another great episode. I had to get out my CD and play poker loud on my stereo afterwards. Indeed, a slightly forgotten gym. This is good. We're doing our job. We're getting people to pull out their albums and CDs and, and listen to the, the songs again. We're helping ELO with their resurgence. So the record company should pay We're us. We're making ELO great again. Y yes. How would that go? Meladigo. Or Miga. Mega. There we go. Meloga. Yeah. yeah I was thinking Migo because all of a sudden I was thinking uh, action figures. No. <laughs> yeah. No. So I guess it would be Meloga. We're Meloga-ing. I don't want it. Let's yeah. just keep uh, that guy out. Malogas? Yeah. Or no. <laughs> but, uh, let's just move on. Ken Lambert says, The song Poker is so underrated. Should be played live, even if for a soundbite, with that awesome guitar riff. Add fire on high for diehard U.S. fans. It absolutely should be in the set list. I mean, I understand why it isn't, because it wasn't a hit. It was just an album track. And for this big tour, it's pretty much a hits tour. And one that's not coming anywhere near me. And since Kelly's saying on this one, probably that's also another reason why uh, it doesn't exactly get played very much. I hadn't thought of that. There's the other reason, too. Mike Faber, okay. congrats to the Erics on their first anniversary. Love how the show has evolved and looking forward to what's to come. Cheers! Well, you get some really cool stuff coming when we get to a new world record. To keep listening. However, he bought me a bowling ball for the anniversary, so he spent the week on the couch. <laughs> well, you'll be sorry about that. Wait and see what <laughs> fun you missed out that night. You maybe stay on the couch. That's true. Ooh, that's creepy! All right, after that awkwardness, let's get to Strange Matt. <laughs> 
Jill Chenault says, This is the first time I've noticed you play the snippet you're talking about to show us what you mean. More of that, please. You didn't know Bev sings? He did lead vocals on one track on the move's message from the country. As for the snippet, we've done it before. I like doing that too. I would do it more often, but usually it depends on how much time, because if I'm getting near the 10 minute mark, I'm getting kind of skittish about adding more stuff to making it too long. It also depends on how much time I've got to put the show together. Most of the episodes for the Face the Music album were slapped together pretty fast because Christmas and New Year's got in the way of me putting shows together. So all that stuff was kind of put aside until after the holidays and piled up. So it was like, I gotta get these done. I gotta get them out. Because sometimes I would finish a show just a few hours before it's supposed to post. So maybe I'll make a jingle for Jill to uh, let her know when we're going to do some snippets. Because I do like doing it, but it's a matter of time. And and a lot of times it's to cover up one of us kind of going da 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 and trying... <laughs> that is exactly... Yeah. Yeah, why? <laughs> yeah, it's basically to cover us up and we're, we're trying to do little sounds and everything to say what we're making. And it's better if he just throws in a snippet somewhere in there instead. Yeah, as, as much as I appreciated your rendition of that part of the song, I kind of thought ELO would have done it better. And so I threw that in. Exactly. As for Message from the Country, uh, this is not something I'm proud of. But uh, my move knowledge is pretty spotty. I think I have the record album message from the country, but all I've heard from it are the hits that are on that Roy Wood compilation CD. I haven't actually sat down and listened to it, which I know I should, because I've heard it's good. And now that Bev sings, I did, I, I gotta hear this, because I've never heard Bev sing lead. I, I really need to find time to sit down and make myself more movie, movish. Move filled. What what English? You speak. I need to listen to more move. I only have split ends. I don't have message from the country, so I can't really comment on that one either. Yeah, I have split ends, and I I like that move album. I think the best pre-ELO song Jeff Lynne ever did is on that, and that's Down on the Bay. I love that song. I can never get enough of Down on the Bay. Hey, here's a snippet to show you what we're talking about, Jill. Listen up, people. Here's a snippet for Jill. MJ Folds, I see you were surprised that Bev sang backing vocals on this track. It was not too surprising to me as he had a few lead vocal tracks on some move songs. Zing went the strings of my heart. Ben Crawley Steel Company and Don't Mess Me Up. He has a very deep voice. Think Lee Marvin, Wandering Star. I've heard Zing went the strings of my heart. I haven't heard it much though. And again, like I said earlier, I'm kind of embarrassed about my lack of move knowledge, so I, I do need to listen more. And, and now know to listen for Bev's voice. And also know to get out those Lee Marvin albums. <laughs> yep, gotta find those too. Terry Muzzy says, gorgeous man in there. Oh, thank you. Uh, no, th- I think she was talking about me. Thank you. My wife thinks so too. You are physically repulsive, intellectually retarded, vulgar, insensitive, selfish, stupid, you have no taste, a lousy sense of humor, and you smell. Corey Gomel said, Let's talk father-daughter dance at the wedding, March 23rd. It's not easy to find a great fit with an ELO song. 
Most of Jeff's love songs go too far lyrically to be used, but like you mentioned in this podcast, there isn't a lot of verbiage being used here. So far, this song is the lead candidate. Can you think of any better Jeff or ELO song for that dance? Uh, Believe Me Now? It's slow. It's also extremely depressing, and it's an instrumental, so... There you go. That's perfect. It's slow and depressing. Your daughter has become a woman. She's going off and she's marrying a man. And you are not the single most important person in her life. So enjoy I, the I wedding. I stick with strange magic myself. I, yeah. Because there are a lot there's, of... There's nothing inappropriate in the lyrics that makes mm-hmm. it awkward to use as, as a father-daughter dance, for one thing. Yeah, because I'm quickly running through the uh, ELO ballads that are also recognizable by people at the wedding. And it's hard to come up with one where he's not either pursuing the girl or he's really dreamy in love with her or he's having a devastating breakup with that girl, which is not, unless you're Donald Trump, it's not the song you want to dance to with your daughter at her wedding. True. Yeah. You want something that is not going to have you suddenly in the middle of the dance kind of go, ah, and eh, pass her on to the the groom rather quickly. Yeah. Let's just uh, pretend he's not singing about this part here and pretend that's not happening while we dance. Uh, Yeah. That's why Afternoon Delight is not the best (laughs) father-daughter dance. Uh, I wish somebody had told me that before I danced with my mom at my wedding last year. That was awkward. Ah. (laughs) Hey, (laughs) speaking of awkward, let's move on to Down Hometown. James Crow says... I don't even know if I want to go there with that song and uh, that name. <laughs> uh, sorry, sorry, James. Yeah. But anyway, just finished listening and have to agree with your assessment of this one. I have always been a fan of the sound and groove of this song, but never really paid much attention to the words. I see where Jeff was going with it, but it didn't pan out too well. And then the whole Dixie thing. Goofy and problematic for sure. Keep up the great work, folks. Thank you, James. By the way, that comment from James came through our Patreon page, and it came in a week before it actually posts to the world. It's one of the perks if you give to Patreon. I meant to make it a $10 donation, but I guess it's for whenever you make any kind of donation, you will get to hear the episode a week before it actually gets posted to the world. So even if you sign up to give a dollar an episode, you will get to hear, you get the early listen to the post. Just think about that. a month for a quality podcast that you enjoy listening to, and you get to be cooler than everybody else by hearing the episodes before the public gets to hear them. So sign up to donate at our Patreon page and uh, help load us down with money. And don't make us have to suddenly interrupt a 10-minute episode with a 20-minute pledge drive (laughs) before we return (laughs) with what Madeline has to say. Yes. MJ Folds, I have always loved Down Hometown. It makes me happy and feel joyous. Not being from the U.S., I don't connect any bad connotations. I just like the hokiness of it. And I really love the backing singer getting into it. Ooh, feel you coming down now. I like it, and I don't care if it's naff. Um, it's, it's catchy, <laughs> and it is hokey. And when you live here in America, the slavery thing, I hope that really didn't sound racist. The slavery thing, yeah, that. You don't forget it when you live here. It's it's always still there. 
So yeah, when you hear a song like Dixie, you find out it's about a black man wishing he was back in Dixie, where picking cotton was fun, you kind of... Mm, that's, uh... Isn't there another song yeah. about the South you could have picked, Jeff? How about uh, Sweet Home Alabama? Maybe slip that in there? Or a lot of songs about the South from the early 19... 19- oh, no, 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 no. And yeah, you probably skip that part. Those. Yeah, <laughs> 1900 songs. Yeah, we just uh, move, yeah, move right no. along. <laughs> um, Tom Lehrer. There you go. You could have worked in some of Tom Lehrer's song about the South. Yeah, yeah. That, that one works. Sure. I want to talk with Southern gentlemen and put my white sheet on again. I ain't seen one good lynching in years. Pam Van Allen says, I wonder if this song was based on some kind of incident in the hippie-hating South. Bev tells a story in his biography about running afoul of some rednecks on tour. Still, I don't know what Jeff was thinking, using Dixie as a theme in the song. As he said, he's not from the U.S. He may not have been familiar with the full racist ramifications, beyond being beloved by stars and bars toting Southerners in the 70s. Yeah, I don't want to make it sound like that maybe Jeff is racist, because obviously he's not. Uh, First of all, I don't think he would have been able to get that hood over that giant man we had in the 70s. We, we don't go there. Just, <laughs> just stop. It's just, yeah, he spent his entire life in Birmingham, England, not Birmingham, Alabama. So he, he gets a pass. He's not being a jerk. He's just, oh, a song about the South. I'll put it in here about my song about the American South. At least he never tried it again. Yeah. Yes, yeah. And everybody is grateful for that. Tony Callahan said, I don't overanalyze songs. I just listen and enjoy. I love this song. Each to their own. Yeah, I don't really do a lot of song over-analyzationing. Um, depends on what words seep into my head, and then I look deeper into the song. But for the most part, usually I just enjoy the music. But since it's our gig with this podcast to over-analyze songs, it's, uh, we kind of have to. Otherwise, this would just be a podcast about song facts, and that would be kind of boring. We should do something more stimulating! And Max Produce says the worst of ELO songs. Um... Probably not. (laughs) I'm going to say that uh, it's hard to beat Battle of Marston Moore for that title of Worst ELO Song. I'm pretty sure there's probably some when we get into contract obligation territory that probably beat this as well. Yes, yes. We we haven't even hit balance of power yet, so we're going to get to some worse stuff. So for One Summer Dream, Pam Van Allen wrote, I thought the protest was against the destruction of Earth by what had just begun to be called global warming in the mid-70s. Mountain high or valley low, fires and mudslides are a danger in the mountains, floods in the valleys, the bird has a teardrop in its eye in mourning for the species that had begun to disappear at the time. But that's just my opinion, even though Jeff said it was an anti-war song. You can't always take him at his word. I can see it as a environmental, hey, you better wake up and start doing things, otherwise by 2019 we could all be in a world of hurt, so get started on getting things cleaned up in 1975. I can see it as that. As an anti-war song, I'm still kind of lost how that would be a protest song. I never, yeah, it's, I really still don't get a protest vibe from it, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Elaine Wasserman says, I've always loved this song. Always remember hearing it on a hazy, humid summer day in the backyard when I owned a house. Can always picture that like a photo or a painting every time I hear it. I can see that. It definitely has a tranquil summer photo painting vibe to it. It's like sitting out on the porch after taking a bunch of tranquilizers and acid on a. Su- oh, wait a minute. <laughs> 
The only way I'd be able to get through a hot summer day was hallucinogens to pretend like it's not brutally frickin' hot! You never used any hallucinogens, it's just when it's 115 degrees outside and you've been out there for more than 45 minutes, it just happens. I guess because that's true. you're dying. That's... that's absolutely true. <laughs> one of many reasons why I never miss Phoenix. Sucks! Joe Turner, one of their most underrated songs. I... I would agree. And Matthew Schultz says... I have always loved Jeff's song, but with 1974's Number 9 Dream being one of my favorite John Lennon tunes, I couldn't help but notice striking similarities One Summer Dream has with it. Vocal openings, dreamy sonic atmosphere, slow and flowing string arrangement, and overall rhythm are strikingly similar. Heck, they even both have Dream in their titles. But Jeff would have to wait until Out of the Blue's Jungle for his turn to sing gibberish in a chorus. You know, I hadn't even noticed that Number 9 Dream thing until we brought it up but I'm kind of like I can I can hear that I'd have to listen to it mm -hmm. I am very much unfamiliar with most of John Lennon's solo material well I love number nine dream it is dreamy listen up people here's a snippet for Jill It's also eerie, because a former friend pointed this out to me back in 1984, that it almost sounds like he's describing the evening of December 8th, 1980, in his own song. We interrupt this program to bring you a special bulletin from NBC News. John Lennon is dead tonight of gunshot wounds at the age of 40. But I just looked this up. Number 9 Dream was released about two months after Face the Music came out. Number 9 Dream came out December 16th, 1974, according to Wikipedia. So, there you go. John Lennon stealing from ELO. Jeff would be proud. Wait a minute, 1974? Oh, heck, wait, no, sorry. Okay. A year, <laughs> a year and two months before Face the Music. There we go. Brit Brat Punk. I like that. Brit Brat Punk. You made me reconnect with my partner tonight after listening to the opening. Thank you. Marie, you sound beautiful. Thank you, guys. I love your show. Well, this is some unexpected consequences about the podcast. I just wanted to entertain and infotain. I did not expect to bring people together. Yep, I'm glad that we were involved in setting up a hookup. I, <laughs> I think we're a lot safer than Tinder. Yeah, yeah. We've helped people make love connections, which I didn't expect. Unless her partner is a spatula and not really a person. My, where did you get that lovely spatula? Everybody's got their kink. You go on and enjoy whatever you want to enjoy. As long as it doesn't involve children, animals, or the dead, you go on. Yeah, as long as it doesn't involve children or animals. <laughs> what about the dead, Eric? Oh, uh, mm. well, I would, I, I would never uh, touch mm -hmm. uh, uh, Bill Weir yeah, or, okay. um, or uh, Pigpen <laughs> or Jerry Garcia, for that matter. Yeah, I've never wanted to touch them or their music either. I will not be doing a Grateful Dead podcast. Grateful Dead podcast goes on for 30 minutes and it still sounds like you're in the same place. Hey. <laughs> God, I can't stand the dead. <laughs> Jim Crow wrote a review on Facebook about the podcast, and this is what he wrote. ELO fans, old and new, will find entertainment here, exclamation point. The Eric's dish out lots of information about each ELO song one episode at a time. Refreshingly, they don't like them all and have a good time letting you know why. Built from a mix of personal opinions, clips of interviews with band members, and great moments in electric light orchestra history, the show informs and entertains. Give it a try. Thank you very much, Jim. 
we're, um, it's good to know that we're accomplishing the goals that I set out when I thought, eh, should I do an ELO podcast? Would anybody listen? And there you go. Yes, please give it a try. Give it a try every week. Mm-hmm. Get hooked. Yep. Review Make us. sure you listen and whatever place you get your podcast and rate it as well. Yes, rate and review on iTunes. The more stars, more reviews we get, the more attention it gets. You don't have to write a long-winded review. You could just give it four or five stars or how many the maximum stars is at iTunes and just write something like, I dig it. It's great. Love listening to this while I'm soaking naked in the tub. Doesn't have to be a long review. Just a review. Exactly. These people contributed cash to the ELO podcast. Frederick Scoe, James Crow, and Michael Mullen. If you'd like to financially support this podcast, you can do it through our Patreon site, patreon.com slash ELOPod. For just $1 per episode, 4 or $5 a month, you can hear episodes a week before they post to the world. You can also donate through PayPal using the email address eloftmpodcast at gmail.com. think of face the music i know it uh, in a review that you wrote like decades ago you were kind of like eh has your eh improved any or is it still kind of eh my eh has improved quite a bit Mm -hmm. i'm still gonna say three and a half stars because there is down hometown and the album is kind of short I think I originally gave it, I can't remember if I gave it two and a half or three when I originally reviewed it, because mm-hmm. I kind of thought it was kind of a downer album, it wasn't that it was just spotty, mm-hmm. but I appreciate it a lot more, because I hadn't remembered songs, believe it or not, I had not remembered One Summer Dream, and how good the thing actually is. Mm-hmm. I would say that for what is still feels like a transitional album, it's gone up to three and a half stars. Out of five? Out of five. Okay. I would give it four out of five. I'm not going to compare it to Eldorado. That would be unfair. Judge it on its own album. I liked it. I mean, I got it in March or April 1984, and I thought, I really like this album. Even if it does have the doofy down hometown on it. And even if it does have Evil Woman, which I'm I'm not crazy about, but I don't hate it. It's fine. But overall, I, I do like the album. There have been tons and tons of times in my life where I thought, sweet Jesus, I want to hear Face the Music. When I bought it, I did feel jilted. It's like eight songs? Four songs aside? This is it? This is more like an EP than an LP. So, yeah, it doesn't get five stars because of Down Hometown and Evil Woman and and Knight Rider. I don't hate them. They're okay. For the rest of the album, I I just straight up stone cold love all those other songs on there so i'd, I'd yeah, give it a that four was the other five. one i was going to mention is night rider it looks like looking it back uh, yeah i originally gave it three and a half as well actually it seems like it hasn't changed but i like more of the songs on here than i did before because waterfall and poker and one summer dream were songs i had completely forgotten about and i think it's also because really i hadn't listened to the album since the late 90s early 2000s Mm-hmm. I hadn't heard most of this, and I've been realizing when listening to a lot of stuff that I haven't heard since I was in my 20s that my acceptance of a lot of music is a lot more open now. <laughs> right. I've, I've noticed that about myself, too. 
Face the Music was released in America in September 1975, and on November 14, 1975 in England. This was ELO's first platinum album. It's also the first album with new members Kelly Grucut on bass and replacing Mike Edwards on cello, Melvin Gale. In America, the album got to number 13 on Cashbox, number 8 on Billboard's chart, and finished the year as the 11th best-selling album of 1975. Face the Music bombed in England, and didn't chart until 1978 when it was part of the box set Three Light Years, and even then it only petered up to number 38. It reached number 24 in Italy, number 30 in Australia, and number 31 in Canada. Now on with the countdown! So I'm just going to throw something out here, and this is completely for conversational purposes, I don't actually believe it, but I'm just pulling this out of my ear. So everybody kind of sort of agrees that El Dorado was the turning point for E, where they ditched the two cellos and a violin and went with the big-ass orchestra. But I submit to you, Nomad, or V'ger, same difference, it was the same story, that Face the Music was the turning point for ELO. His dad said his music sucked, so El Dorado was pretty much a straight-up, oh yeah, I'll show you whose music sucks. And he made the album to just as a pretty much in-your-face, look who's got it now, dad. Jeff proved his point very well. He could have just gone right back to the two cellos and a violin, but instead he stuck with the big orchestra. So that's why I'm kind of like, what if Face the Music is actually the turning point for ELO and not El Dorado? Everybody can discuss. Well, that is why I say that Face the Music's a transitional album. El Dorado doesn't sound like anything else in their catalog. Mm -hmm. El Dorado sounds like itself, even though it gave him a lot more confidence of what he was doing and everything. Can't get it out of my head, and Boy Blue kind of set a background for what a lot of songs that would sound like going forward. But I agree that Face the Music is where you start hearing what people would consider Electric Light Orchestra. When you hear people copy the Electric Light Orchestra sound these days, they're copying Evil Woman forward. Mm -hmm. They're not really copying El Dorado backwards. You get the sound of Evil Woman, a lot more you get from the next album. You get the sound of Living Thing or Telephone Line when people start thinking of Electric Light Orchestra. So yes, this is the album where he actually starts focusing on what he wants to do with the band for the rest of the 70s. Right, he's he pretty much, he's got the concept figured out and how to do it right at this point. And the funny thing was, when I was looking up the album facts for this last night, there was a quote from Jeff Lynne saying, he says that Face the Music is the turning point for ELO. So, apparently this isn't just something I pulled out of my ear. Apparently other people, including Jeff himself, think... Yeah, this is when things turned around for ELO. And that's also why I think New World Records a little bit better, is because he's building on the foundation he laid with Face the Music. And that is a good segue into what I'm going to talk about next. When we start covering a New World Record, we've got a couple of new things. First of all, Mark Herring is going to do the voicemail plugs on the podcast. You know, if you got something to say about, call the telephone line voicemail. He's the DJ guy. And he said, can I volunteer my voice services for you? And I thought, what can he... Oh yeah, sure. And also, George Leonberger sent me an email. He worked up these little bits and he said, I, what do you guys, what do you think? Can you use these on your show? If you don't like them, it's okay. And I listened to him and I thought, these are friggin' fantastic. You're damn right we'll be using them in the show. The title of it is... A great line from ELO from this week's song. And what he does is he takes a line from one of the ELO songs that we're covering that week and he interprets it in ways that I had never thought before. They're like 10 to 15 second radio plays and they're fun, they're entertaining, they're humorous, and they're really well produced. I, 
I don't want to give too much away because I like to surprise people, you know, when it hits. But for Rock Aria, he makes it sound like something from the Mercury Theater's War of the Worlds. I've been sitting on these for two months waiting, waiting until we get to these these shows because I can't wait for people to hear these things because they're pretty freaking awesome. Well, I haven't heard any of them, so it's something for me to look forward to. Yep, when I got something really cool and really good, I want to save it and just unleash it to the world and be like, oh. So apparently even people I work with are like, I didn't know you had this. Yep, I do the same thing. I hold it in and hold it in, and then I release it as a surprise to everybody around me. Usually on an elevator. (laughs) They probably don't enjoy it as much as people are going to enjoy this. That's true. All right, let's run the outtake so we can let the room air out. Fire on high. An instrumental, fire on high. (laughs) Oh, I guess my turn. Now you get a cue. <laughs> um, Waterfall. I like it. What else? Is, what's what else is next? So I and I don't, you know. Again, I don't get why. Perfectly good song that I like, but it doesn't stick with me. Although, except for the instrumental version, which I did really like. Yep. No, the next song. Well, the next the next song after it. It kind of leads into it too. Doesn't into into that next song, but. Uh, yeah, completely different style and subject matter. Yeah. In contrast to this. So yeah. That's uh And we just stretched it to eight minutes. We did. Yes. Or probably seven once we can knock a couple things out of there, but Night Rider. This is me. Like Phil Collins doesn't sound a lot like Genesis. There's a difference. When you when you got Mike and uh, Rutherford and Tony Banks, they seem um a little bit more arty, probably. Not as mushy soft as, as Phil Collins does. But with Am I a Dreamer, is somebody breaking into your apartment? Uh, no, that is the... Uh... <laughs> okay, that means it's probably getting onto the recording here. You can hear it. I, it's pro- I don't that, that, that's, that's the garbage truck outside okay. that just decided to come along. Right. I don't think it's loud enough to get on my end. Um, okay. I would think you would want to do something that sounds different from what you've been established as yellow. Strange magic. Unless there's some sort of deep meaning in the words that really reach into you and, and grab you and say, man, that is so I feel that. And then people don't really pay attention to the lyrics. I mean, they're... I, People say that rap music has such powerful words, and I have no doubt about that, but I can't stand rap music. It's, there's just, I can't get past it. I know the words are there, and they're, they do have things to say, and, but the music and the way it's delivered, it's, it's just not, it doesn't, it doesn't do it for me. So, yeah, this, this pretty much proves it. You got a good tune, the words don't matter so much. Well, that's... I debate you on hip hop a bit more, but um, sure but I know it's kind of not made for forty-year-old white men anyway. So, <laughs> which surprises me why I like that I actually like some of it. But <laughs> but uh, getting back to this, I it might be a little bit comparable, even though it doesn't have the um, hometown. So it took on a completely different meaning to me. I don't know if that's just due to age or actually paying attention to the lyrics. Or having been to those places occasionally. 
Um, I think the furthest, the deepest into the south I've ever been is like maybe the corner of Kentucky that's right next to Indiana. And that's about, I, I've never been to the south. It's not like I, I, I've purposely avoided it. It's just, I haven't uh, really had the money to go traveling much in my life. And they don't like them long-haired, freaky people like you there. Yeah, especially a Yankee like me from who, you know, was born in Boston. Taxachusetts massholes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the thing is, though, it sounds more like British folk gets ignored yeah, it, for the most part. It might have been played during the Face the Music tour, but after that, I really doubt that it made the regular set list. I can't see, you know, being on tour and, and going from Don't Bring Me Down or Hold On Tight to Down Hometown. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was kind of like, eh, hmm. yeah, that song. Let's let's just move on to One Summer Dream. That was a good one. Can we just, like, not talk about uh, that song I did where, yeah. And One Summer Dream is what we're going to move on to, and that, I, I believe, is considered one of his best. Yes, it is. Now, I'll show you what type of extreme you can go to from one song to another. Mm-hmm. Remember what I had for breakfast. I um, and this is probably going to go on the outtakes because this is going to drift a little bit. I have been uploading all the radio troller programs that I did, and I will listen to some of them. Some of them I'll just listen to parts. Some I just don't even listen. Just upload. I got to get this done and out of the way. And I will hear things, and it's like I I don't remember doing this at all. I did, oh my god, the first time I actually had the show on the radio, I was talking about how hot all the girls at NAU looked. I'm 45 years old, and I'm talking about how hot all these college babes looked, and how in my in the orgy in my mind I'm doing them all. It's like, I, I guess you were taking the Howard Stern route to get some radio listeners. So, yeah, it's um, it's not even just 45 years ago. Sometimes it's just... A couple years ago, or even last week, it's like a, I, I, I don't remember doing this at all, and yet, there it is. Yeah, that's how I feel when I look back at some of the stuff I've written in the past. Yeah, I look at it and I go, "When did I say this? <laughs> Who wrote this?" <laughs> and there it was. What was I thinking? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So. One summer dream. Dream. There. Okay. There. I'm Eric. Now Paul. you've got the clap. Yeah. I, <laughs> and from you even. <laughs> I'm Eric Paul. I'm just saying it's different, dreamy. It's like, um, you know, chocolate ice cream is dreamy. Chocolate pudding is also dreamy. So, two different kinds of dreamy. They're both really great. Face the Music, an Electric Light Orchestra song-by-song podcast, is a production of Radio Trolla Entertainment Assorted Deli Meats Amalgamated. You can contact us by voicemail at 623-850-3375 or email us at eloftmpodcast at gmail.com. Keep up to date on the show by joining our Facebook group and spread the word about the show by sharing the link or giving us a quick rating on iTunes. You can financially support the podcast and get some good at patreon.com slash ELO pod. Next week, episode 050, Tightrope.
Microsoft where it belongs. <sighs> okay. All right, there we go. Now you're in stereo in my head. <laughs> That's probably something a lot of my coworkers would not want. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, he's in there. Uh, okay.